0: Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Morning. We're going to focus on Emmanuel, and what Emmanuel means is God with us, and more to the point, Jesus Christ with us. The story is perhaps the most talked about story in in, in history, and only you know the only other story is probably talked about just as much as Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. Here are two works of art that I, I'm going to show you here that, uh, in a second, that that are really the, the same story, yet are so different from each other. Here's the, the first one. And they're about 150 years apart, and, and it really tells us what happened on a, on a global scale at this time in history, because between these two paintings, the, the, there's a major shift in our society. Something happens that made people change the way they thought about God, the way people interacted with God. This first one is from 1390. It's kind of flat and undimensional. I mean, it's, you know, I guess the angels are up there on top. They're ready to fall off the roof. I mean, you know, proportional. It's not quite there. But this is one of the paintings that were painted toward the end of the the Middle Ages, toward the end of the Dark Period of Time, as they they call it, to, you know, right about where they started transitioning in style. And this next painting was done in the, in the height of the Renaissance area era. Uh, era. And, and I love this painting. I love the 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 you know the look on the shepherds' faces. They're just amazed on this, and and the light just lights up Christ, and and you know Mary just just looking down at him. It's just you know just really uh, y- you can feel the emotion in this. This painting compared to the other painting. What is interesting is that they both owe their style to one small event. One event that happened in between the first picture and the second painting done. It happened in Germany in 1445. Uh, something in history, you know, sometimes in history. Things happen that change society as a whole. And this is one of those events, you know, huge forces that come in and change things, things that that are moving and changing, and, you know, one huge event that just kind of changes the world. In our lifetime, we think of stuff like, uh, well, in the history of my lifetime, not necessarily in my life, but we think of World War II. Some of you guys experienced that. You know how much it changed the world. We think of the atomic bomb. In my lifetime, we think of the Twin Towers. One event that changes the course of of human history on a global scale. Well, this morning I want to talk about one of those events, a small event that changed history. And it's really small events that that sometimes can cause an an explosion of change forever. This change was, was the invention of the printing press. And it happened in the time between these two paintings. It radically changed the way these two things, this, this one story is represented in society. In the, in the Middle Ages, the, the churches and states were really strong. There was a feudal system going on, and, and uh, you know all the land was locked up by a few, and, and they called these guys, the landowners, lords. In fact, one reason why we, we say the word lord, and we, we look at God and we say lord, is because the King James Bible is written during this time. And the ones that were in charge of all the land, they were called lords. English lord meant the one that was in charge. In the feudal system, the lord was in charge. And your allegiance to you know, was for the king, and, and you worked under slavery under these guys, and for about a thousand years, Europe was like this. For about a thousand years, that's, that's how society operated. If you owned the land, pretty much had a good life. If you didn't own the land, you pretty much worked hard your whole life just trying to feed your family, just trying to provide for your family. Sometimes we kind of laugh about how hard we have it, and I'm glad we live now and not back then. It's a lot different. But what happened in the early 1400s, the bubonic plague... Swept across Europe and killed half the population. And, the, and the, you know, the consequence of this major event was the fact that people started moving around. You just didn't stay. I mean, hey, if there's a whole bunch of, of people you know, coming down with something in, in the area, you're like going, okay, I don't care if I'm working for this guy. I'm getting out of the way. I'm moving. So, so all of Europe starts moving around. All of a sudden, you had the rich and the poor. It didn't matter, you had them dying. So people started getting away from the plague, and in thirteen ninety only one church held the power. And everyone looked at the church kinda of like we look at politicians today. How do we look at politicians today? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just look at the you know Congress's approval rating right now. I think it's the lowest in history since they started taking it. That's how the church was, was kind of looked at and, and you know viewed at this time. The common people were, were really left out of the church in many ways. And they really wanted to break through that, and they just they just couldn't. Then you had this plague that happens, and in 1445, you know Gutenberg invented the printing press, and at the time, you know people couldn't really get books, so the only educated people were the one, the lords, the ones that were in charge. So then slowly you had, you know, for the first time, people could start learning for themselves, and now everyone could learn the works of Plato and Aristotle and others. Because before, all this work was locked up in the churches. It was dangerous for the common person to study these things. It was you know, kind of viewed that way. You had to be rich to even think about learning. But all of a sudden, knowledge started exploding. And freedom, like never before, started coming into Europe. Commodities started training. They, they got cells on ships instead of rolling across the ocean. They, they literally started doing these cells, And they were able to travel so much further. During this time, the church started selling indulgences. They told you that, that uh, you, you would go to Purgatory during this time uh, and, and you know, a place between heaven and hell, and this is not necessarily a biblical concept here, but nonetheless, they told you this, and, and if you pay us money, we'll shorten that time. If you pay us money, then, then you won't spend as much time there. I think we should start something like that here, you know, just make some certificates. But this is what they did. And, and some of the, you know, the beautiful churches, the basilicas and, and the chapels, and if you ever get a, you know, a chance to go to Europe and, and see some of these churches, this is how they were built. And during this time, Martin Luther rose up and, and said that this is wrong. So during this time, you have Martin Luther in the printing press and, and all this stuff going on, and he said, No, I, I'm breaking away from the church here. I, I, this is just not biblical. And things started changing for, every, for everyone because they had access to learning. And through all of this, one concept emerged, because for at least a thousand years, life was like, I was born, I lived, I worked very hard, and hopefully someone there, I started believing in God, and then I got to go be with God when I died. That was what life was about. It wasn't really about a relationship. This concept of, of God with us, that was the part that was missing. God cares about people, and, and you matter to God. And oftentimes we, we kind of get you know so busy in life we forget that, that God really cares for us. We really matter for God. The decisions we make and the relationship that we have really matters to God. It's not a one-way thing. It's not one way that that God just takes care of us or one way that we just come and worship God. There's an interaction there. This peace, this concept of God with us was missing. You know, God gave us a brain so we could learn. We could learn about arts and engineering and math and dance and everything. God gave us his brain. Self-worth started becoming important at this point and it's kind of reflected in in the paintings because people became important. This painting was done in the Renaissance, and and it means a rebirth or reawakening. And and, and that is really what what this is from, a a rebirth of, of understanding, of knowledge, of why they existed, of who they were, all because this little printing press in many ways. There are few times in history when a small event changes society so much. And just with a few people in a small town it can radically radically change the world. The greatest event that would radically change society happened with little fanfare, little knowledge, and only few people knew about it. It was the night that baby Jesus was born on the backside of Jerusalem in a little town, a little town called Bethlehem. No one even knew who it was, much less have a room that night for, the, for Mary. Instead, they were in a barn in the middle of millions of people traveling around, moving around the country for, for a census. The whole Roman Empire was traveling and this woman you know, gave birth to this little boy among the masses who were coming in to pay taxes to the king. And that night in a barn, a little event took place that would transform the world. It caused a rebirth in the way people thought and the way people acted, the way people responded to God and an understanding of God and, and who He was and, and how we were to, to, to act and how we were supposed to respond to that. And where does, where does man fit into the grand scheme of all of this, of, of God's plan? Everything started to change at that point from the event of little baby Jesus being born in a town called Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You know, humankind gets to these points in history where we think we know, we think we, we understand things, we think we understand and see God's plan, and then God comes, you know, through the back door. And just shows up and we're like, where, where did you come from? We were expecting you to come through the front door. And this is what he did that night. They didn't even know that, that this had happened. And the impossible really does happen. You know, everybody thought at the time Caesar Augustus would, would change the world. And he, and he did pretty much. And, and I know... A couple of people could do this, Gary for one, but can you remember anything from, from the decisions that Caesar Augustus uh, you know, made that, that, that changed your life, that changed society? Can you think of any? Not really much. Is Jesus more than a story to you? No one even saw that Jesus was coming. And here Caesar Augustus was the one that changed the world. No, Jesus Christ is the one that changed the world. Is he more than a story to you? Is he more than just words on a page? You know, for nine months I've been thinking about having a child. Not really worrying about it, but thinking about it. When Lisa told me that she was pregnant, it was uh, really neat for us because one of our favorite places in the world is Hawaii. And if you're around here long enough, you'll see pictures that I'll put up of Hawaii eventually. But as soon as we got back sort of getting everything ready you know washing different clothes that people gave us and 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 different things and and you know painting the room and and you know and after we decided on a name it became a little bit more real when you start calling them by name you know I don't think I've touched my wife's belly so much and you know but when I saw the boy when I saw my boy for the very first time it was much more than a name just on a stocking. It was much more than a a name on on a piece of paper where they have a birth announcement at the hospital. For your relationship with Jesus, is it more than just Christmas decorations? Is it more than just words on a paper? Is it more than just hearing the story or reading it? Is Jesus Christ everything to you? I would dare say that this little event in history changed many of our lives that are sitting here today. In fact, I mean, think about it this way. Caesar Augustus' decisions, you can't even think about You can't even go, wow, that really changed my life. But Jesus Christ, He affects you now. You know, in Galatians, Paul writes to his brothers and sisters in Galatia reminding them where they came from and what they stood for, and he says to them in Galatians four, "But when the time had fully come, God sent His son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, because you were sons, God sent His son, or God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts the Spirit calls out, Abba, father." So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are, you are a son, God has made you an heir. At this time in history, when God looked down and said, this is, a, you know, this is the first time when, when all the forces that, that came together, that, that looked together, you know, it was a time when, when it needed to happen. It happened, and God sent His Son. From the time of Abraham to when God gave the, the law to Moses, 14 or 1,500 years have gone by and the history has moved on. The Roman Empire has welled up and and literally conquered the world and God chose this perfect time. He said, now. You know, the Old Testament is a lot about God's holiness and really how we don't meet up to those standards. And in the state of, of God's holiness, we often find Him unapproachable. And in Old Testament times, that's really literally how it was. You went to the temple and the priest, and only one priest could actually go into the Holy of Holies. You could not go to God on your own. We could not get there with the Old Testament law. And there was nothing that we could do about it. He's too holy. It's beyond you know, the grasp of our comprehension to even think about it. And that is really what the Old Testament is about. And then the Old Testament literally continues into the New Testament. And during the Old Testament, you know, time, man had to, you know, really lost knowledge of who God was. So God first had to prove to man, I am holy. Let me show you how holy I am and how unholy you are. So therefore, let me write the laws to show you what you're doing and how you're doing it is sin. that he was righteous and not to be trifled with. You don't mess around with God. And and it took thousands of years for, for God to show that to us. And then he said, Now that you understand how holy I am, let me show you my mercy. Let me show you my grace. Let me show you the love that I have for you. And he sent his son, born under the law, condemned to die because of the law and our sin. Because you had sin, you could not get to God. And Jesus died for that sin. That is what He did. Under the rules of the law that God Himself had set up. We can try, but out of our human effort, we will never make it. Out of our own ability, we can never get to God. So he began to tell us who he was, a different perspective of who he is through his son. A new way of reaching him. Born of a woman, born under the law. What was the purpose of all of this? The the reason he steps off his, his throne and becomes human so that we might become an heir to his kingdom with the full rights of the sons and daughters. Now, is that cool or what? We get to, you know, we get to call the, the mighty one, the holy one, the, the first and the last last. We get to call the king of the universe, the prince of peace. We get to call him Father, Abba, Father. The Spirit within us cries out to God for us. You know, I can't wait till my, my little boy says Daddy. You know what? Our Father in Heaven can't wait until we turn around and say, Daddy. He doesn't care how old we are. He wants us to turn around and call Him Daddy or Father. You know, there are times when I feel that, uh, you know, I'm kind of a relaxed uh, person. In fact, our, our doctor kept stating, uh, you know, throughout the process, and uh, when we found out that Lisa was going to have complications, uh, it's weird going into a C-section knowing you're going to have complications, you know. And the doctor kept saying, "Wow, you guys are are pretty calm about this." I'm pretty relaxed for the most part, but there's times when I feel almost that I'm too relaxed and I'm not reverent enough for God. But I think there's also times when we forget. We forget to reach up and grab the Father's hand and just say, Daddy. I love the little kids, you know, shaking their hands in the the greeting time. You know, you don't shake the hand. You've got to shake their hand. For God to reach down and shake our hand. For God to reach down and and our hand reach up and for us to go, Daddy, Father. For Him to, to pick us up in a sense and swing us around. To spend time with Him. How much love does a father have for his child? How much love does a perfect father have for his children? We are no longer slaves. We are heirs to his kingdom. All the power, all the mercy, all the wonder, all the truth, we are heirs to it all. It's ours. This is incredible. The, you know That is the reason why this little baby grew up and died on the cross. He purchased our lives because God cares about us so much. He says, you are my, you know, you are my son, you are my daughter. And in Romans 8, he says, uh, Paul's writing, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Revealed in us. Not just revealed to us, but revealed in us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as a, as in pains of the childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who who have the first fruits of the spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For this, for in this hope we are saved. But hope is is that as seen as no hope at all? Who hopes for what what? For what he already has but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently in the same way the spirit helps in our in our weaknesses we do not know that we ought to pray we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express and he who searches our hearts and, and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Hmm. The creation, along with the Spirit, is waiting. It is expecting the, the glorious day when we receive our inheritance, when we fully meet our Lord for, you know, for the first time face to face. Are we going to call him daddy? Are we going to lay down and worship him? I'm not sure. I'm waiting. Isaiah says that, that the wolf will, weigh, will, will lay down with the lamb, that little boys will lead bears around. I can't wait for that. You know, I've been to Africa and I, I've seen some great animals and one of them almost knocked our vehicle over, came so close. It's a great story, I'll tell it sometime. But I can't wait till we can get up and close and, and personal with these animals. And, you know, it'll just be a wonderful experience. But what, what will be the greatest part of it all, the greatest part, we won't be harmed by this world anymore all the all the things all the burdens that come on us all the relationships that get broken all the all the things that we struggle with sometimes the major arguments sometimes the petty little arguments that we get into all those things won't burden us anymore because we will be with our father the creation will be changed and, and we'll receive our inheritances as, as sons and daughters do you have your adoption papers Is it stamped on your ticket that you are free? Is it stamped on your heart? I do know one thing. Most of us in our Christian walk, one of the things that we try to do is we try to earn this right. We do, whether it's through serving or praying more or being more friendly or or feeling guilty about the sin that we have in our life. However it is, we try to earn this right to go to God. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. That is is the lie of Satan himself. At the end of the day, we cannot fully please God with our actions because we have sin. We have a sin nature within us. We need to stop worrying about that stuff. And start worrying or or actually start living like the one who's received the greatest gift. Because you don't earn a gift. There's presents still under my tree because we were too busy playing around with our kid that we didn't even unwrap them yesterday. I know, know, sacrilegious. but, But those presents, I didn't earn any of those presents. We'll unwrap them, we'll enjoy them. But I didn't earn them. There's nothing that we can do to earn that presence of being with God. In Galatians 3, Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? When we begin to, to understand that, that He saves us and somewhere along the line we start acting like we have to earn God's favor. If I could just be good enough, if, if the people in the church could view me in a certain way, if I could just get this this, this old self off and, you know, you know, if people just kind of view me as a good person, then I can earn God's favor. In verse 3 he goes on to say, After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you uh, suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? Hmm. You know, does God love you because you did good deed number 6,237? Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with what we have done or what you will ever do. You will never be good enough by human standards for God. That's why He did send His Son. That's why we celebrate Christ, uh, Christmas. Because, because of that and Him dying on the cross, you are now worthy to be to be His Son. You are now worthy to be His daughter. You are now worthy to go into His kingdom. And our Father won't look at us like... Man, you, you really messed up big time on this one. No. Our Father's going to be with open arms waiting to, to, to bring us into heaven, to bring us in relationship, full relationship with Him, with nothing in between. This is why we celebrate the little baby in the manger. It's all about Him being born, growing up on this earth you know, sinless by God's grace and God's mercy and His own power. He grew up sinless, and He died on the cross for our sins, for your sin, for my sin. And then He was raised from the dead. And raised from the dead is the key here. He not only died on the cross, but He was raised from the dead. And one day, He will welcome you and I into His kingdom. Is that amazing or what? That is what the hope in our life is. The hope that we hold on to. You know, this world is really wanting one thing. Hope. Hope. And what we need to do is take it to Him, because we have the ultimate hope. This small event in human history changed the world for all eternity. For those of us who are believers, we need to have a renaissance in our life. We need to to go back into a sense of this picture right here where we're It's lively. You can see the expressions. You can can understand what they're feeling just by looking at it. People need to look at us and go, wow, look at them. Look at the relationship that they have. They are different, and I want to know why that is. We need to have a renaissance in our own life. We need to allow God's love into our lives so we can show that expression to love, to show it to others. Expression of God's mercy in our lives. Because too often... We're like the Middle Ages. We were born. We lived. We worked. We accept God and get really happy. And then we go back to living and go back to working. We need to have a three-dimensional relationship with God. We need to, to, to be out there showing why we believe what we believe. When's the last time that you were really excited about God in, in this world? We need a reawakening of God's Spirit in our lives that has become dormant in some of us. We have locked up the Spirit in in many of our our lives and and certain segments of our lives. You know, the Spirit's alive and and well in this one area of our life, but you go over here, it's like we lock them up and box them up, and, well, this is how it should be. We need to, to let the Spirit loose in our life so that the world would say... There's something different about that person. I want to know what it is. And I want to know why they believe what they believe. A renaissance. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we do have a renaissance in our life. That we we get to a point in our lives where we look around and say, Is this it? Is this all I'm living for? And we start searching for You. We start searching for, for the truth. We start searching in the ways, the little things that we, can, that we can do in our life through Your Holy Spirit that can change us forever. Lord, I pray for a, reawak- a reawakening in this church. I pray for a reawakening in this town. That people would look at Tulare and go, wow, something's different there. And that difference be you. And again, Lord, I I thank you so much as we celebrate your, your, your son's birth that the king came down to this earth. We thank you for coming down, Lord. And I pray that we just take that into this next year, that we take that into our life and into our jobs, into our homes, into our children's lives, that wherever we go, you are alive and welcome in our life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and may His Spirit just well up in you like it's never done before. May one year from now you be so surprised in how far you've come in your relationship with God because of His Spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.